Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, family, it is great to be with you today. Uh, how many of you participated in Love Fullerton yesterday? Anybody? Anybody? Great. We joined with about 30 other churches, 3,000 other people. Uh, the Erie kids and I were uh, washing and waxing police cars uh, all morning, so, um, and uh, not surprisingly, the kids um, soaked themselves and were cold. So, and, and you know what you do in those moments? You let them be cold. Am I right? Am I right? Um, and and, and uh, because uh, we have so much fun uh, doing that stuff, um, we're just so proud to be a part of our community so proud to be a part of a faith community. Jay Williams and his team just do a great, great job. Also, um, there are some things that are happening uh, every Sunday when we are in here. We have a whole community of people that are blessing uh, our children. We actually have about a thousand kids that participate in our children's ministry every Sunday morning. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge deal, and, um, and we're in constant need of folks to help, because we're, we're not looking for babysitters, we're not looking for childcare workers, we actually uh, are looking for folks who are passionate about raising up the next generation and partnering with parents uh, to do the spiritual work of uh, instructing and shaping and forming our kids. And so listen, if you are interested in that, we absolutely need you. As a parent, I have three kids in uh, our children's ministry and our youth ministry, and we absolutely need all the help we can get because they're, they're just so critical, and those ages are so critical. So we're always looking for gracious men and women who love Jesus and love them. Um, if you're interested, would you go to the children's table after our service, or would you take your EV free app and let us know that you'd be willing to find out more about that? We don't try to make this in any way onerous, but it is significant, and so we could use your help. Also, we got any moms in the house today? Any moms? Any moms? I mean, it seems like we got some moms. I mean, don't we all have moms? Even Jesus. Even Jesus had a mom, I mean, for crying out loud. So um, normally I'm in a suit. And, uh, and, um, and let me tell you. What? You didn't notice it? Yeah, let me tell you right now. Well, why aren't you all in suits then? Our house flooded as we were leaving for Israel. I kid you not. As we were pulling out... Both upstairs bathrooms uh, flooded and filled our house, and it was joyous. And uh, so we, we uh, were about eight weeks away from having a fully functioning house, but we moved back in this week. And when I went to go put the suit on, it had not been dry cleaned and was in a rumpled mess. And I, I need you to know, I need you to know, I was not terribly disappointed to find it that way. <laughs> so ladies, ladies, in case, in case you're feeling devalued, I'm wearing a suit in my heart. Okay. <laughs> Moms, we love you, we need you, we bless you. You are utterly the most underappreciated resource that fuels the life and kingdom uh, mission. And your uh, stewardship, your responsibility, the authority you carry in our world is hugely significant. And so today you are, uh, and every day you're worthy of honor. We also realize that for some people this is a hard day. Right, We have folks in our midst, and it happens um, every year. You come to Mother's Day or Father's Day, and the greatest source of blessing is often the biological family, and the greatest source of the opposite of blessing is often the biological family. And so some of you are here, you wish you could be moms, but you cannot have kids, and that just kills you. For some of you, you're estranged from your mom, or you're a mom estranged from your kids. 
Or, or maybe you've lost your mom recently. I mean, any, there could just be so much pain attached to biological family. So what we want to do is we just want to pray God's blessing. If you're a biological mom, an adopted mom, if you are a stepmother, if you are a grandparent, if you're a spiritual mother, we bless you, bless you, bless you. Uh, and if you're here and you're hurting, um, we want to just pray that God draws near. Because one of the great promises is that you have a bigger family now than just your biological family. And so that we might actually become uh, mothers and sisters and brothers and husbands and fathers to the folks in our midst that are lonely and estranged today. So let me pray and we'll dive into the scriptures together. Father, to call you Father is to be reminded uh, that we are in the midst of a huge family formed by your grace and your purposes to be what our biological families cannot be. And even, Father, we thank you for those who have great relationships and great families. We know how rare that is. And we ask, Lord, your mighty blessing upon them. And for all of those that today are lonely and alienated and hurting, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus you would draw near to them and that you would bring comfort. You would be family to the family list today. And God, thank you for the privilege of gathering and celebrating all that you are and all that you do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, so as people wearing suits in our hearts, let's go grab a Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. And I hope you could still listen to me in regular clothes today. I know it's such sadness. Um, Genesis chapter 12. Now, we're we're taking uh, some time out of our uh, wonderfully brief Luke uh, study to, to, um, uh, to, to talk a little bit about what church turns out to be. And the reason we feel like it's necessary to do that is uh, for a lot of folks in our world, church, they may have positive associations with Jesus, church, on the other hand, not so much. Many, many people, some in this room have been hurt by the church, however that has happened. And often the greatest argument against following Jesus are his followers, and some, some, sometimes the greatest argument for following Jesus are his saints, but you know, we, we realize that goes both ways. And so if you're here and you've been hurt by this thing we call the church, we want to we wanna take a bit of time to remind ourselves what this is. If this isn't just a teaching, singing event, um, what is it? And to do that, the, the talk of church doesn't start just in the New Testament. It's all the way back into God's purposes. So Genesis chapter 12 is a place we're always looking at. Genesis 12. Now here we meet a guy named Abram. And he'd only been mentioned in a genealogy. But the biblical story up until this point is pretty straightforward. God creates all that has been made and declares it to be good. He nestles human persons made in his image to be co-regents in his governorship over the created world. Those human persons rebel against him. Sin and death enter the world. Even creation itself becomes fallen. To the point where actually God floods it and and starts over with a family. But that family, there's even sin and death there. And so chapter 11 of Genesis is is, is this human collective building a big monument to their own name and their own glory. God, the question that Genesis 12 begins to answer is, okay, so what's the cosmic rescue operation going to be like? God, of course, isn't going to sit idly by and allow this to take place. What's he going to do to renew it? And in the most underwhelming, understated way imaginable, this is how the cosmic operation begins. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, we've only met him in a genealogy, go. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. We don't even specify it. And then in your English Bibles, this is usually segmented apart because it's a great promise. I will make you, Abram, into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So the cosmic rescue operation starts with God choosing a barren, a couple we find out can't have kids, a barren elderly couple who God unconditionally, for whatever reason, promises, I'm going to make you into a great tribe, a nation, and through that nation bring blessing. Now, how exactly is that going to work? Go to Genesis 18. And, and as, the, as the text goes on, you see bits and pieces that God is going to rescue the world through a community of flesh and blood. In order to rescue flesh and blood, he's going to create a community of flesh and blood. And this starts with a man named Abram. Now, we know him as Father Abraham, and he has many sons. But here, this is still kind of early in the song. Genesis 18, and if you don't know what that is in reference to, Genesis 18, verse 18. God, speaking of Abraham, says this. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So the blessings he receives aren't just for him, they're instrumental. For I have chosen him so that he will, and then notice this, direct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what God promised. So, how is this going to work, God? Here's a guy and his barren wife, two older folks. We're going to call into this new place. We'll bless them so that they will have a household and that household will be formed by obedience to my ways. All right? A community of people formed around the ways of the Lord. Now, this community, this household, gets turned into a nation. Go to Exodus chapter 19. This community, we read in the rest of Genesis about Jacob and Isaac. Uh, excuse me, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob gets renamed Israel. Israel has 12 sons that become uh, the, the forebears of the 12 tribes. At this point in the biblical story, they are a great nation. They've been redeemed out of Egypt by Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. And Moses has brought them up and he's rescued them. And now they sit at the foot of a big mountain to receive their job description. Why did God redeem them? Well, this was the reason. Chapter 19, verse 4. God says to Israel, You have seen what I did to Egypt... And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now the idea here is that God loves and owns all of the nations. But it's like a king that owns a large amount of treasure but has kind of a personal stash in his office. Right? That's the image. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me, and then here's the job description, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, 
The word holy here means separate. It means distinct. It means contrasting. You will be different from the nations around you. You'll reflect my character in the way that you live. A kingdom of priests or a priestly kingdom, what do priests do? In the good way. What do priests do? They minister, they represent God to the people and represent the people to God. Right? They're ambassadors, they're representatives, they're mediators. So here's what God says to Israel. All the nations are mine. You will have priests to you and what your priests are to you, you Israel as a collective are to be to the world. You represent me to the world. You you are an on-display people whose life is compelling and different and unique. And that, that is your job description. You will show what it is like to live under my gracious reign and rule, and the nations will come and be attracted to me because of you. That's the idea. And this is fleshed out in the book of Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4. Moms, we love you. You're welcome. And welcome to all those dragged by moms today who played the It's Mother's Day and you will come to me with church today. (laughs) Welcome to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. We're hitting all the popular books. Deuteronomy chapter 4. My name is Mike, by the way, and I have the greatest job in the world. I really do. Outside of the guy who directs the Avengers, I think I have the greatest job in the world. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. Now, this is Moses reminding the Israelites to obey all of the commands that they have received. Observe them carefully... For this will show your wisdom and understanding to who? The nations. Who will hear about all of these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting forward today? Now notice the trend. All right, I hope this is a little obvious. How does the cosmic operation unfold? The cosmic rescue operation. All right, one guy, I'm going to form you into a household, and that household will follow my ways. One nation formed into a nation of priests, and you will live in certain and distinct ways. You're holy, you're separate, you're unique, you're contrasting, you're not like the other nations. Why? Just because God hates seafood, or God doesn't want you to mix wool and linen? I mean, what's up with all of that? All of that was to demonstrate they were a a contrasting community. They were to be different and unique among the nations. Why? For the nation's sake. They were to show the wisdom and the goodness of living under the rule of the living God as opposed to living under the tyranny of the false ones. So all of the blessings they received weren't for them. They were so that the nations would be pulled into the worship of the one true God by the distinctness of their life together. Are you with me on this point? What is a church? Well, the idea doesn't start in the New Testament. The idea starts when God decides the way I'm going to rescue the world is through flesh and blood. 
And he forms a community, a household, following his ways, formed into a nation. What's that nation to do? Live in such a way that you're an on-display people. Your life together demonstrates the reality and the goodness of what God is like. So it's not surprising when we get to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is now God among us, tabernacling among us, dwelling among us. So it's not surprising that the first thing God does, because it's consistent with every other step of the rescue operation, is to form together a community of flesh and blood. Right? He himself is God in flesh and blood, but instead of doing it all himself, he calls together a community of people a lot like us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 we remember these stories, of course, but, but just let them sink in a little bit differently because of all the things, I mean, Jesus could have launched the whole, whole operation by himself, right? It's not like he needed help. When God created the world, it's not like he needed co-managers, and yet that's what God's heart has been the whole story, to find cooperative participants in his work. So the cosmic rescue operation is launched for flesh and blood, through flesh and blood. Through a nation, for the sake of all the other nations. So when Jesus shows up, Matthew 4, verse 18, he's uh, baptized, he's tempted, and then he starts gathering a community. This is just what God does the whole story. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And very famously, what's Jesus say? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the purpose of following Jesus wasn't just for their benefit, correct? What was the purpose of their following? To do what Jesus was doing. Jesus was fishing for men. They were to learn what that was like. Again, never are the blessings given just for their own sake. They're always given so they'll be translated to other people. Always. Going on from there, Jesus saw two others. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. That's what it means to be a son of Zebedee. Preparing their nets, Jesus called them, and they left their nets and their follow and followed him. So what's the first thing Jesus does? He lives in relative obscurity. He gets baptized by the Spirit, affirmed by the Father, into the wilderness to be tempted, and then he immediately gathers a community. And how many... Will he uniquely call into something called apostleship? How many will he call? Twelve. Which, to the Jewish mind, would be highly symbolic, correct? It's almost like God is renewing Israel around this person, Jesus. Now, it's not surprising then. Abraham, you're called and redeemed. You're going to be formed in a community, and you have a job description. Be a blessing. Walk in my ways. Israel! You're formed and redeemed. You're shaped into a community. You have a job description. Kingdom of priests, holy nation. So is it surprising when we get to Jesus' followers? They're called into a community. They're blessed. And then they're given a job description. Go to Matthew 28. A very famous passage called the Great Commission. Matthew 28. Now this, this, this whole message is about how to love your moms more. You should just do that, but I don't know if we're going to get there from Matthew 28. Now, verse 18. Many of you know this passage. Jesus came to this little fledgling community and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are epic, like Daniel chapter 7, Isaiah, 
promises. This isn't just a sort of, hey, this is like, I am the victor. I have been vindicated. This is epic. But then notice, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. First word to Abraham was what? Go. And make disciples of all the what? So this is just the Abraham thing updated around Jesus. Go and make disciples. What are disciples? Well, disciples aren't church people, although they turn out to be that. Disciples are adherents. They're students. They're apprentices of Jesus. In the revolution, he began and is continuing. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And how do you do that? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then the great covenant promise, I will be with you always. So, how does God work? He calls into existence a community of set-apart people who embody his ways for the sake of the nations. Do you see this? Let me try it again. Out of human history, a community of people, he dwells among them and sets them apart to put on display his ways for the sake of the nations. You got that? A community of people called out of human history where he dwells among them and uses them to put on display his ways for the sake of the nations. So what's a church? A community of people called out of human history where God dwells among them to put on display his ways for the nations. This is the job description the whole way through. It's not like he said, Israel messed up, let's start plan B. This is what he's done the whole time. So it's not coincidence when you go to 1 Peter, which we were all thinking of. When you go to 1 Peter, Peter just takes Exodus 19 and applies it to the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and he's saying just some brilliant stuff here. Oh my goodness. We don't have time for it, but it is awesome. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Notice, this is, this is Exodus language. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession, right? Straight out of Exodus. Why? That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. Why do you exist? To give him praise. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not received mercy, but now you have. So dear friends, as foreigners and exiles, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the unbelieving. That though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's straight from Deuteronomy. The other nations would go, oh. So, what's the cosmic rescue operation look like from the first moment? A community of flesh and blood called out of human history. God dwells among them. They put on display the goodness of his ways for the sake of the nations. What's a church? What's well, that very same thing? Now, all of us good church folk are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But none of us believe this. Not one of us believes this. Because what we've reduced it down to is just a, a once a week teaching worship event 
in a separate place called a church that is programmatic and that exists to feed its consumers. And if it's good, you tip, and if it's bad, you don't. No, I'm serious. That is evaluated in the same way you'd evaluate a movie. Did I like it? Right? That's what church is to us. We go to church. We either like church or don't like church. We can skip church or not skip church. I mean, all of our language betrays that biblical understanding of what a church is. Right? So I go to church and then do something else the rest of my life. Well, that is not the biblical vision, brothers and sisters. Not even remotely. I remember a young lady, bless her for speaking what so many of us secretly believe, who came up to me at the door and said, hey, I love the teaching here, but I really like the worship at my other church. And I said, because I am a gentle shepherd. (laughs) I said, that is wonderful. But here's what I really thought. And had I had time, I might have said, I don't care if you like any of it. It's not for you. Right? I mean, we're not called out of human history so that you like this. We're not... We're not organizations competing for market share. Well, Eastside has a really cool Christmas program, and, and your Belinda, they're just much better looking than that, the guy, that, the chunky guy who's on stage there, and that's true. <laughs> I mean, is that, I mean, how offended is Jesus who died to create this when it's evaluated like you'd evaluate a movie? So I just want to go on record as really clearly saying, This isn't for you. It's not for me. Do we heal here? Yes. But so that you would go be a healer. Do we teach here? Yes. So that you would go be teachers. Do we disciple here? Yes. So that you would go make disciples. All that you receive is to be given. This overstuffed, overfed nonsense is offensive to our Lord Jesus. We exist to serve the world and for no other reason. And that turns out, that serving of the world turns out to be the best thing for us. We don't need more information. We don't need more church activities. We need to be broken and poured out for the sake of the nations. That is where you find Jesus doing his best stuff. And because we've reduced it to something less beautiful than that, well, if we really believe it, I mean, I'd clap too, but if we really believe it, it would just look so much differently, right? How do you evaluate a church then? If a church is a community of flesh and blood called out from the nations to put on the beauty of God's good rule on display for the sake of the world, then how do you evaluate this? I mean, I can just think of a couple of ways, but they're far different than the questions I normally ask. Right? Question number one, if God's really here and God's really present, is it unmistakable that he's here or can you explain all of this? You know, you put a good motivational speaker named Matt who lives in a van by down, down by the river up on stage, SNL reference, Tim, you got that? Did you get that one? Okay. You do some lights, you do some music in minor keys and boom, you've got some sort of emotional thing. Is that all this is? If God dwells among us, which is what the scriptures so clearly teach, then you'd think it'd be noticeable, right? 
Who wants to be a part of something you can explain? None of us do. So how do you evaluate a church? Is God manifestly there? Is, are things happening that only he can get credit for? Is there fruit? The way Jesus defines fruit, not full seats, not big budgets, but transform lives. Are people more joyful? Are they more patient? Are they, are they more full of peace? Are they gentle? Are they kind? Are they self-controlled? Do they look more like Jesus by their participation or not? Is the church faithful to the bride and faithful to Jesus? Is the word taught? Is his name lifted? Is it about a celebrity? I mean, these are all questions we have to ask. Because I'm tired of playing at this, you know? And I think Jesus just kind of does his best work in other countries right now because we're all arguing over dumb stuff. You know, nobody who under the threat of persecution walking barefoot to meet with 20 other believers is, is caring about what the music's like or whether or not the speaker was good. I mean, I just, I in my soul burn to see something like that. And it starts with me. I mean, God's been just dragging me all up and down this little place he and I have called the woodshed. Because I'm guilty, of course. And so I bring this before you in the series called The Church, saying, are we really, do we see ourselves as the contrast community that God calls us to be? I mean, our world says, this is what beauty's like. It's this very narrow definition. Are we a community that says, no, 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 everyone is beautiful because they're made in the, God, in the image of God? The world says accumulation, status, that is the path to joy. Well, we're supposed to be the people that say, no, no, it's simplicity, it's generosity, it's divesting yourself of of possessions, not accumulating them, that is the path to joy. Our world says revenge, punish your enemies, right? Our, Our entertainment industry is built on revenge, sports, revenge. And then we follow a Jesus that says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, when we look just like the rest of the world, and I'm not saying perfect, not even remotely, hallelujah, God isn't looking for that. Because there'd be no one here. But is there a fidelity and intention towards being the kind of community? See, we're not supposed to copy the world. We're not supposed to compete with it. We're to provide a refreshing alternative right? Is the goodness of living under the rule of Jesus on display? Because a very honest question I get is, well, what difference does Jesus make really? It seems like he turns you into a narrow-minded, <laughs> intolerant, hateful person. So the greatest arguments against us are now moral in nature. The greatest arguments for the early church were things like, well, who's going to take care of your plague victims? Who's going to feed your widows if we go away? Are those the arguments we could make now? Brothers and sisters, my only goal is to perhaps stir up a hunger for something more than a once a week teaching, singing event that meets in a place and then goes somewhere else. Because this, not church.
We could lose this tomorrow. Church is found wherever you are. So there are churches in dentist's office, there are churches in schools, there are churches in high schools. Wherever Jesus said two or three are gathered, there I am, well, you got church. So if you're an insurance salesman, if you're an architect, if you're a basketball coach, if you install pools, guess where church is? So you don't go to church, you are church. We just happen to meet in this nice little facility, right? So may we grab hold afresh of the vision of what God has called his community to be and look like. I want to pray for this. And then I want us to bring it before the Lord together. Father, Lord, I am so, I am the chief of sinners. Father, you see the darkness in my own heart. There is nothing surprising. (laughs) You're not surprised by any of this. But I hope you also see, Lord, a desire that I and us look more and more like you. That we actually look like you and think like you and talk like you and act like you and love people the way you love them and spoke truth the way you spoke truth. That we would, people would just cannot help but say you are present among us. And Father, we need so desperately your Holy Spirit to come and to make that happen. Because we're, we're bereft. We've got nothing apart from you. We can labor, but unless you build this house, we labor in vain. And so we just invite you to come, Spirit of God. You're here, of course, you're here. But to build in our hearts what it is that you dreamt of when these words were written. So that we might see the nations come to give you praise and glory and honor. Because they see what you can do with broken, flawed people. And so, Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy.